0: Shelf Talk with Louis, Umnia and Ali Live from the Sharjah International Book Fair at the Expo Center Sharjah
1: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are live from the Sharjah International Book Fair. This is Shelf Talk here on Pulse95, and we've had some great, really great eye-opening conversations to authors from so many different backgrounds with so many different styles, and this is a conversation I'm personally really excited about because I think it's going to be eye-opening for me personally because we are joined by Dr. John Kennedy, and and you have a book that's being showcased here uh, called Pathogenesis, which is a history of the world in eight plagues. Firstly, how's your day going so far? It's fantastic. It's been really wonderful
2: to visit Sharjah and everyone's been so friendly and I've seen lots of wonderful things so it's been been fantastic. It's your first time here in Sharjah? First time in Sharjah, yeah.
1: And how has, and at the book fair obviously then, what's been the first impression? What stood out to you the most?
2: I guess coming from the UK we have a vision of the UAE as being you know kind of full of money and fast cars and um you know, just an oil-rich, oil-rich society, and it's fantastic to actually come to Sharjah and to see how much people are into books yeah. and how much they value um, education and literature and culture. Uh, so it's been a real, a real eye-opener. We went to the the House of Wisdom yep. yesterday, yes. and that wow. was, I think, the nicest library I've, I've seen in my life. So it's been, it's been a great so far.
1: I always say when I compare the House of Wisdom library to libraries back home for us in the UK, it's a whole different world. It's so modern and and I think what they've done so well is they've made the world of literature entertaining and fun and modern because typically libraries maybe back in the UK are wooden, creaky and old and not that entertaining. Sure. So it's amazing that we have that here. I'd like to talk a little bit more about your book that's being showcased here, Pathogenesis. Can you talk about it and what it really is going to be offering the reader? Yeah, so I think
2: most histories of the world focus very much on humans um, and on usually great men's roles in in history. You know, we can think of Jesus and Muhammad or Napoleon and Churchill, but these are the often seen as the driving force of, of history. And my background is also in history, but I have a big interest in public health. And so I wanted to look at the past from the perspective of infectious diseases. Yeah. And mm. you know, when I actually started looking at history through this lens, you see that many of the great transformations in the past, everything from the extinction of the Neanderthals to the rise of world religions to the fall of the Romans, yeah. um, the transition from feudalism to capitalism, European colonialism, um, these are all driven largely by infectious diseases rather than by, by human human actions or at least by the interaction between the, the two. And so I just focus on eight episodes of... That. I like the title. No? In, in, in Eight
0: Plagues is a play on, it's a very tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And so, I think actually what's, um, you know, I kind of start with some of the the, the the scientific stuff and I think that's what really got me, yeah. got me interested in the topic. Um, and I'm sure everyone who's listening knows about the microbiome and its impact on our digestion. But what really got me thinking about this a few years ago was a scientific study that tried to basically look at the DNA of the bacteria in our stomachs. Mm -hmm. And it found that about 90% of the bacteria in our stomachs are capable of producing what are called neurotransmitters, so chemical messengers that um, are able to influence our moods. Things like serotonin and um, and, um, dopamine. Dopamine, exactly. And uh, so this is just crazy, right? That these bacteria, these tiny little things have evolved to communicate with us. And the theory behind that is that that basically um, if we're gregarious, if we have serotonin and dopamine coursing through our minds, then we're much more likely to go out and to be social and to provide opportunities for these bacteria to colonize new bodies. But I guess I was thinking if if bacteria have such a big impact on on us as individuals, what impact do they have on on society?
0: I think it's very interesting that you're saying that. You know, in uh, in Arab culture, in Islam, uh, the Prophet Muhammad said that the stomach is the place of where the well-being is you know so it goes back to also what you found what else have you found when you were m- writing this book and studying? Oh, this book?
2: all sorts of stuff but I mean we can begin at the at the beginning so yeah. um, you know if we think back to about 50,000 60,000 years ago the earth was so different to hmm. the way it was today it wasn't just a, a planet dominated by by homo sapiens there hmm. were various different Species of, of humans. So you had Neanderthals in Europe. You had another species called Denisovans in the in the east of Eurasia. And then when you get down to, to Southeast Asia, you have some really quite funny, funny species. So you have one that's known colloquially as the Hobbit, uh, Homo floresiensis, which was about a meter high, with disproportionately long, long feet. And um, I guess kind of the question is why? Why did we go from this? This kind of multi-multi human species world to one that's totally dominated by by Homo sapiens and the traditional argument for that and one put forward by people like um, Noah Yuval Harari who wrote Sapiens, um, the Israeli historian, is that we're just smarter than other species of humans and that's that explanation is really implicit in the name that we give ourselves. Yeah. Homo sapiens means wise wise man, wise humans, and actually there were there were scientists a hundred years ago who suggested calling neanderthals homo stupidus so stupid man to really but actually like when we look at the the evidence there's no real evidence that we were smarter than neanderthals Um, neanderthals were capable of doing all sorts of incredible incredible things burying their dead um, sailing between islands on the in the eastern Mediterranean um, and so when we actually look at it the answer seems to be that homo sapiens carried more infectious diseases than neanderthals and so they were kind of like an unwitting secret weapon that helped them as they were pushing pushing out of Africa into into Europe and so this is what um, this is what killed off and that's for a very simple reason that Mm. homo sapiens came from Africa Um, in Africa there's more Sun um, so more of the more of the Sun's energy hits the hits the ground so you have more things growing you have more animals eating those things, um, um, and then you have more microbes living on the animals. And so there's more chance for infectious diseases to jump from one species to another. And um, that's why we, or our ancestors, carried more and more deadly infectious
1: diseases. And you know, when you're writing about historical events, what are the challenges that you've faced in your writing process? Are there any ethics that you have to take into account? What goes into your research? Who? Who do you approach? Where do you get your sources from? What is the writing process when you're writing about historical events?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. So I think my approach to history is one, to try and make it entertaining for, for a broader audience. And so, you know, often you have to bring in references to things that people can people can understand and people can connect with. So, you know, we were talking a minute ago about the multi-species mm. planet. And, I likened it to Lord of the Rings because, in many ways, it is a bit like the, the kind of Lord of the Rings when you know they went to the to Mount Doom with these. You know, you didn't just have the race of man, humans. You had dwarfs and elves and half elves. Um, but also, what I tried to do is not just look at archives to bring in information from all sorts of different academic subjects. And I think that's something that many many academics and non-academics struggle to struggle to do because we're stuck in our own our own silos, but not just to study history, but to bring in insights from um, art, from sociology, from economics, from film studies, um, from all sorts of, from classics, from... I, from, I would say those are connected in a way, aren't oh, they, oh, yeah? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think when you, when you use those insights, you can really build up a, a much kind of a deeper and more more convincing arguments, I guess. yeah. Because
0: Tolkien himself was a professor, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, uh, he was a professor yeah. of um, kind of um, Norse, Norse, yeah. Norse myths and kind of English literature and things like this. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah, would yeah. find
0: his, its way into his writing as well. Totally, totally. Yeah. So th- I, I assume the same thing happened with you. You're a professor as well, I believe. Yeah, I, believe it was, I wouldn't yeah.
2: compare myself with with, <laughs> with, with, with Tolkien, but um, no, certainly there's a big a big connection between the work I do teaching and yeah. um, writing the book, and I think. What helped me is that I, I've been teaching a lot of this stuff for, for kind of ten years more or less to undergraduate students, and um, I'm not sure how long ago you two, you two studied, but you know, uh, a,
0: a while for me, a while, and that. I think Louis a bit, Louis a bit too,
2: <laughs> a, a bit more recently, but, um, you know, when you're a lecturer these days, you find yourself faced with a room of students and. They have so many distractions. They have their laptops in front yeah. of them, mm. their phones, and you can't really be sure whether they're sending WhatsApp messages, checking. Mm. I mean, Facebook's showing my age now. I'm TikTok and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, it really kind of, you really have to try and grab them and um, try and kind of hook them in at the beginning. And so I guess I've tried to adapt some of those lessons from, um, from teaching into writing the writing the book.
1: You know, you said something off air that, that really made me think and I want you to bring it into this conversation because we're at such a multicultural event mm-hmm. where people from across the globe are interacting and, and, and you know thriving and you said something that a lot of people might not know but we're much more interconnected than, we, than we're led to believe. Can you touch on that a little bit more in yeah. terms of the history and the background of humans as a whole?
2: Yeah so I guess if been, even if we go back to you know kind of pushing out of Africa 50, 60,000 years ago. You know, kind of, we're all, we're all the the ancestors or, or the descendants of uh, of those kind of people that pushed out of out of Africa yeah. 60,000 thousand years ago. And um, I think it's really important to remember that. You know, um, I'm not sure how it is in UAE, but UAE, but certainly in the UK, there's a a big backlash against migrants mm. and against people that look slightly different to the way we we are. But I think it's crucial to Remember that we're all we're all the descendants of, of migrants in the sense that we're you know our, our great 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 grandfathers and grandmothers had pushed out of Africa yeah. a long time ago, and so hopefully that kind of helps us think about the, the shared humanity. But I also think you know like a big a big issue with racism is the idea that people think they're better than other other people. But what this book shows is on so many occasions when one one group of people were able to dominate another group of people. It wasn't because they were inherently better. It wasn't because they had better weapons or better better technology. It was usually because they were helped by infectious diseases. So take, for example, when the, when the Spanish went to the Americas. Um, so in 1492, which is the same, the same year that the Emirate of Granada was defeated um, by, the, by the Christians in Spain as well, but they they went to the Americas and they found their, you know, really quite advanced civilizations. But within a hundred years, no, within less than that, within a few decades, they've managed to defeat the Aztecs and the Incas, and they dominated the, the region. They dominated Central and South America for the next three four hundred years and they still Mm. speak Spanish and they're still Catholics Mm. Um, and the only reason this was possible was because of the infectious diseases that the Europeans carried with them Um, so first it was smallpox which killed maybe a third or a half of the population within a couple of months Um, then you have measles and flu and so if you look you know a hundred years after 1492 the population of the Americas had fallen from about 60 million six million, you know, been totally, totally decimated.
0: And was that something that was, it just happened, or was it something that was, do you think, at the time, planned?
2: It, it, it certainly wasn't, wasn't planned. There are, there are cases later in history when um, it seems like Europeans were much more cynical with trying to use infectious diseases to to cause harm to native populations. So the the classic example is, I think, General Armhurst, an English general who ordered his soldiers to give blankets from the smallpox hospital or the, the ward, smallpox wards in the hospital to the native population. And there's pretty clear documentation of, of, of that, so, so yeah, kind of the, 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 the Europeans in the Americas were practicing bioterrorism, mm. you know, a long time before it became a popular, popular word.
1: Mm. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because it's a piece of history that the general public might not know about. So it's an incredible book to be able to read and it is being showcased here at the Sharjah International Book Fair. We're of course talking to Dr. John Kennedy and we're talking about his book Pathogenesis, A History of the World in Eight Plagues. Thank you very much, John, for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. a pleasure.
1: Thank you. you. you.
2: Shelf Talk with Louis,
0: Umnia and I live from the Sharjah International Book Fair at the Expo Centre Sharjah.